Does truth exist? Because you have faith, does that make this book true? Does God exist? So when someone says there is no truth, if you apply the claim to itself, what should you say? Is that true? They don't think Christianity is true. They're talked out of it. You know why they're talked out of it? Because they've never been talked into it. Cross-examining skeptical and atheistic views. Welcome to Cross-Examine with Dr. Frank Turek. You know, I've got to say something before we get into the heart of today's program, this being Thanksgiving weekend, and that is you cannot really appreciate God or you cannot really follow God unless you're thankful. I think of uh, the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 1 where he talks about people who suppress the truth and unrighteousness about God to go their own way. They want to do their own thing. And he says they don't give thanks. It's very difficult to have a heart that's open to God if you're not thankful for what he's given to you. And Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 5.18, give thanks in all circumstances. So if we're going to have an open heart, a receptive heart to God and have fellowship with God, we have to be thankful Thanks helps us. A lot of people think, oh, what's God? He's this cosmic uh, ego up there. He wants us to praise him and thank him and all this. Well, he is the ultimate being, the greatest of all conceivable beings. His nature is what we call goodness, love. It's also just his nature is. And he deserves it, but he doesn't get anything. uh, He doesn't get anything from us in the sense that he feels better if we praise him because he's an infinite being. You can't help him by praising him. You can't hurt him by cursing him. He's infinite. So you can't in any way advance your uh, or his goodness or his justice by praising him and you can't retard it by cursing him. You get the benefit of thanking him. You get the benefit of praising him. You get the detriment of cursing him. So just keep that in mind here in this Thanksgiving weekend. But I want to talk about today, the fact that everyone worships something. Everyone worships something. If it's not God, it's something else. And even as Christians, we have these little idols that we put up. They're not mental idols or they're not metal idols quite frequently. They're mental idols. They're things we put above God on occasion. And the question, as you know, that I ask people quite a bit who are not Christians is this question. If Christianity were true, would you become a Christian? And I've had many, many atheists on college campuses respond to that question by saying, no, I would not I would not become a Christian, even if it were true. And I asked them, how's that reasonable? How's that rational? It's not. They're not on a truth quest or on a happiness quest. They're worshiping something other than God. And they think that thing, whatever it is, whether it's sex, money, power, some sort of relationship, some sort of goal they have in their life that they think that is counter to what God wants them to do. They're worshiping something other than God. And they think that is going to make them happy. They're not on a truth quest or on a happiness quest. In fact, I asked this question of audiences everywhere. A few weeks ago, myself, Jay Warner Wallace and Stuart McAllister were with Ravi Zacharias uh, outside of Nashville, Tennessee at a 
a conference put uh, forth by the TV network we're on, NRB TV. By the way, it is on DirecTV channel 378. It's on Wednesday nights at 9 uh, and uh, 1 a.m. if you're an insomniac. It's also on our app, uh, the Cross-Examined app. You can watch the show streaming live. It's also on Roku, NRB TV. In any event, they put this this apologetics conference on. We were the four main speakers. And I asked a question of the audience there. And look, whenever Ravi shows up, you're going to have a big audience. So we had over a thousand people there. And I asked a question I ask audiences all the time now. In fact, I'm going to ask you this question. Uh, I want you to think of somebody who's not a Christian whom you'd like to be a Christian. You got somebody right now? You're thinking of that person? Here's my question. Is the person you're thinking of on a relentless pursuit of truth? In other words, they just want to know the truth. They want to know if Christianity is true or are they apathetic or maybe even hostile to Christianity? Now, I asked that question to the thousand plus people there in Murfreesboro. I can't remember one person raising their hand. There may have been one when I asked, are they on a relentless pursuit of truth? The other 999 plus said the person I'm thinking of is apathetic or maybe even hostile to Christianity. They don't want it to be true. They don't want Christianity to be true. Why? Because, again, they're not on a truth quest or on a happiness quest. Now, let's be honest. None of us are completely rational. We don't we're not like computers. We just make uh, decisions based on the data. We have rational reasons, but we also have emotional and volitional reasons for doing things, for the decisions we make. Sometimes our motivations involve merely the desire to be wanted, to be part of a community. I mean, we talked about in this program before the motivations for any crime or sin for that matter. And those motivations are typically sex, money and or power. In fact, as I said, my friend Jay Warner Wallace, the cold case homicide detective, when he finds a dead body, he doesn't go. There's a thousand reasons why this body is here. If it was a homicide, there's a thousand reasons this guy was killed. No, no, no. Or could have been a thousand reasons. No, it's one or more of these three. It's a sex issue, a money issue, and or a power issue. Now, the broader category, instead of sex, could be the quest for a relationship. doesn't necessarily have to be sex. But when we say that, we're talking about some sort of relationship. To be liked or to be included, to be part of a community. That's the motivation. Sometimes people will sin in order to be part of a community. And sometimes we will as well. I love what Mother Teresa said. She was treating leprosy patients. She once said this. She said, we have drugs for people with diseases like leprosy, but these drugs do not treat the main problem, the disease of being unwanted. That's what my sisters hope to provide. She said, she went on to say loneliness and the feeling of being unwanted is the most terrible poverty. Unquote. That's true. We don't just do things for rational reasons. Quite frequently, we do them because we just want to be wanted. We just want to be part of a group. Now, whatever the motivation is for why people do things the way they do them or why they do them at all, whatever their motivation is, our job on this program today is to examine the more rational side of what people do. And in that sense, we want to expose some of the contradictions that people make when they put forth common arguments and assertions. 
And many of these arguments and assertions are put forth by secularists or atheists. Uh, and some of these assertions are the following. Uh, there is no objective purpose to life. You ought not impose your morals on others. Religious people ought not to be involved in lawmaking or politics. The goal of life is to be happy. We need to teach our kids about safe sex. And oh, by the way, did you know that you can choose your own gender? These are some of the things I hope to get to today. And maybe I won't get to all of them. But these are assertions that secularists and atheists tend to make. Some are even made by Christians, believe it or not. And I think there are contradictions and fallacies in these assertions. And they can be identified by merely asking a few questions. And that's what we're going to do here on this program today. Whatever the motivation that people have for saying these things, whether it's rational, whether it's emotional, whether it's moral or volitional, we're going to look at the logical side of these things and see if there are contradictions or untested assumptions underneath some of these assertions. You know, it's been said before, you're not supposed to talk about politics or religion. Well, when you think about it, ladies and gentlemen, those are two of the most important things worth talking about. Politics deals with how should we live here? And religion generally deals with how are we going to live in the afterlife if there is one? Now, of course, religion impacts how we live here on Earth, too. But the point here is, is how we live. That's important. It's kind of a lie of Satan to say don't discuss politics or religion. Those are two of the most important things you can and ought to discuss. And we're going to talk about them here on the program. You're listening to Cross Examine with Frank Turek on the American Family Radio Network. Our website, crossexamine.org. That's crossexamine with a D on the end of it, dot org. Don't go away because we're only going to be gone for about two minutes. See you then. Thank you for listening to the Cross Examine podcast. This material is made available to you for free by the contributions of listeners like you. If you wish to support future podcasts, just go to crossexamine.org and click on the donate button or simply use the donate feature directly on our app. Thanks. C.S. Lewis famously said that it's not the issues that we debate that are the problem. It's the issues that are considered settled that we never debate. Indeed. You know, one of the assertions that atheists and secularists make is they just assert that atheistic materialism is true. That we're just molecular machines who, as Richard Dawkins has put it, we just dance to our DNA. And therefore, there's no objective purpose to life. Now, let me point one thing out. There is no way to prove that atheistic materialism is true. You just have to assume it. But if you assume it's true, then you shouldn't believe anything you think, including the thought that materialism is true. Let me say that again. If you assume atheistic materialism is true, then you shouldn't believe anything you think, including the thought that materialism is true. Now, you say, why? Well, an evolutionist many years ago by the name of J.B.S. Haldane put it very well. Haldane realized there was a fatal flaw in his own view of atheistic materialism. Here's what he wrote. He said, quote, if my mental processes are determined wholly by the motions of atoms in my brain, I have no reason to suppose that my beliefs are true. And hence, I have no reason for supposing 
my brain to be composed of atoms, unquote. You see the point here? If we're just molecular machines, if we're just moist robots, then we shouldn't even trust reason because we're not reasoning. We're, re we're merely reacting. We're no different than a Coke can fizzing. We're just a moist robot. So why should we believe materialism is true? If we have no faculty to help us discover it's true. If we're completely controlled by the laws of physics, then every thought we have, including the thought that we're completely controlled by the laws of physics, can't be sustained. It can't be reasoned to. It can only be believed I faith <laughs> because we're just molecular machines. And I unpack this at great length in the book, Stealing from God, Why Atheists Need God to Make Their Case. By the way, it makes a great Christmas gift. <laughs> we're in the Christmas season now. You might as well give the gift of truth, the gift of Jesus. So check out all that. In fact, it's in chapter two of, uh, of uh, Stealing from God. But here is... The contradiction I'd like to talk about when atheists, I just mentioned the contradiction. You can't prove atheism is true, although they make, they make it seem like you can. Um, atheistic materialism anyway. Um, but there's another problem here, at least a practical contradiction, uh, when they say there's no objective purpose to life. Of course, that's true. If there is no God and materialism is true, there is no objective purpose to life. Yet, atheists think that you are wrong if you get in the way of their purpose. They act like it's objectively wrong for you to frustrate what they want to do in life. Well, look, if there's no purpose to life, then if my purpose is to stop you from doing what you want to do, how, is, how could that be possibly wrong? I mean, although atheists claim that we're just moist robots and we're just dancing to our DNA, they don't act that way. And they don't expect believers or Christians to act that way. Although they claim there are no moral rights and obligations, they actually have some of their own, you may have noticed. Let me give you an example. When, when we say that unborn human life is sacred and should be protected, they say that they have a moral right to do what they want with their own bodies. But here's the contradiction. If there's no purpose to life and there is no objective right or wrong way to live life, there are no objective rights, then why do so-called pro-choice people think that they have such rights? On one hand, they're saying there, there is no objective purpose to life. And look, if there is no objective purpose to life, there's no right or wrong way to live it. Just like if there is no objective purpose to a football game, there's no right or wrong way to play it. You can't say that if you throw a touchdown, it's better than throwing an interception if there is no goal to the game of football. You wouldn't be able to tell that a touchdown was better than an interception for your side. If there was no purpose to the game, there's got to be a purpose to the game and there's got to be a purpose to life for you to say, this is a right way to live it or this is a wrong way to live it. I have a certain right. I'd say I have a right to life because the purpose of life really is to know God and to make him known. And I have to be alive to do that. So I have a right to life. I'm made in the image of God. And so are you. And so are unborn human beings. They they're made in the image of God. They have a right to life. Yet atheists say there are no rights. They say there are no rights yet. They assert many rights of their own. Think about this. I mean, we believe we have a moral obligation to protect life. Christians should believe we have a moral obligation to protect life. 
But atheists think that we should have the moral obligation not to interfere with, with, with what they want to do as atheists. In effect, they think we should not be able to protect life, but they should be able to end life if they want to. You see, we don't have a right to protect life, but they say they have a right to kill it. Do you see the problem here? So we need to question these contradictory assumptions. On the one hand, they say there, there are no moral rights. On the other hand, they'll cite a list of moral rights that are longer than your arm. If you give them the opportunity, I mean, they're going to claim a moral right to abortion. They're going to claim a moral right to taxpayer funding of abortion, uh, almost a right to fund Planned Parenthood. They'll claim a taxpayer right to f or uh, not a taxpayer, right? They'll claim that they have a right to taxpayer funding of contraception or forcing nuns to fund contraception. You remember that court case that happened a couple of years ago? They'll say they have a right to same-sex marriage. They'll say they have a right to force you to participate in their same-sex marriage against your conscience or your religion. They'll say they have a right to use whatever bathroom I feel like I ought to use that day. They'll say that they have a right to change their gender, that they get to assign that gender to themselves. Now, the, the practical contradiction of that, of course, in addition to the fact that it's quite obvious that people have certain genders, is just 10 minutes ago, the, the LGBT community was telling us, look, we we're born this way. Now they're saying that they can go to bed as a man and wake up as a woman. I mean, there, there's very little logical coherence to this. Some will say that they have a, tax, they have a right to taxpayer funding of sex reassignment sur surgery. They'll say they have a right to open borders. They'll say we shouldn't enforce existing immigration laws. They'll say that we should have gun control, that, that there's a right there somehow. Now, let me say something about gun control. In fact, uh, Jim Wallace and I, a couple, of, a couple of sessions ago, talked a little bit about this. I think here's a good instance where people on both sides of the aisle, so to speak, are trying to, to go for the same ends. We agree on the ends. We disagree on the means. Everybody on all sides of the debate, want fewer shootings, quite obviously. We want fewer people killed by these, these people that open up their weapons on innocent people, whether it's in a church, tragically, or in a, at a concert, or wherever, a nightclub. We all want fewer deaths. The controversy is over how to achieve fewer deaths. Does restricting guns do it or does maybe arming the public could that prevent it now i'm not going to get into that debate now i'm just saying that there's a difference between not the ends we all want the same end we disagree on the means in any event the point here is is that atheists claim certain rights secularists claim certain rights but they have no standard by which to have rights or to assert that these are the correct rights. Now, last year we had uh, the great Tim Keller on the program and uh, his book, Making Sense of God. We discussed that for an hour with Tim. You can go back to last December and listen to that podcast. I highly recommend you do. Here's a couple of quotes from Keller's book, Making Sense of God, on this entire uh, issue of how do you ground rights if you're an atheist? Uh, he, uh, Tim quotes a uh, Russian philosopher who sarcastically summarized the ethical teaching of secular humanism like this. Here's the quote. <laughs> Man descended from apes, therefore we must love one another, unquote. 
Now, Keller goes on to say the second clause that we must love one another does not follow from the first. If it was natural for the strong to eat the weak in the past, why aren't people allowed to do it now? He went on to say that given the secular view of the universe, the conclusion of love or social justice is no more logical than the conclusion to hate or destroy these two sets of beliefs in a thoroughgoing scientific materialism and in a liberal humanism simply do not fit with one another. Each set of beliefs is evidence against the other. Many would call this a deeply incoherent view of the world, unquote, from Tim Keller's book, Making Sense of God. Go back, ladies and gentlemen. And by the way, you're listening to Cross-Examine with Frank Turek on the American Family Radio Network. Go back to the podcast from last December with Tim Keller. You can get it on our app, the Cross-Examined app, two words in the app store. And uh, you can listen to that interview. And I highly recommend you get Keller's book, Making Sense of God. Here's another quote from the book. Great stuff. He says, if you say that you don't believe in God, but you do believe in the rights of every person and the requirement to care for all the weak and the poor, then you are still holding on to Christian beliefs, whether you admit it or not. Why, for example... Should you look at love and aggression, both parts of life, both rooted in our human nature, and choose one as good and reject one as bad? They are both part of life. Where do you get a standard to do that? If there is no God or supernatural realm, it doesn't exist, unquote, from Tim Keller. Yeah, when you claim that you have a right or there are rights and you're an atheist at the same time, you know what you're doing? You're stealing from God. You're stealing that standard of rights and goodness from God while claiming God doesn't exist. In one sense, you're arguing against God. In another sense, you're stealing from him to try and bolster your worldview that lacks the resources to have the rights that you think you should have. You're stealing from God while you're arguing against him. In effect, you have to sit in God's lap to slap his face and so I, I just find it deeply contradictory for atheists on one hand to claim atheism is true, which you can't prove. You can't prove materialism is true, as we mentioned earlier. And secondly, they claim they have certain rights, yet on an atheistic view of the world, there are no rights. So they have to steal from God in order to claim that they have these certain rights. And that's just contradictory, and we ought to point it out. Now, again, people don't always operate on pure rationality. You and I don't either. I mean, sometimes we're making decisions based on emotion, based on pure volition, and we're ignoring reason. And so I'm not here necessarily to condemn people for coming to different conclusions. I'm simply saying when you look at the logic, it doesn't work. There are no rights if God doesn't exist. If we're just molecular machines, moist robots, and there is no immaterial realm known as goodness, a standard of goodness, which doesn't exist by definition on materialism, then there are no rights or wrongs. Nothing is ultimately good or bad. There is no justice. There is no evil. There's no good. There's just pettiless indifference, as Richard Dawkins eloquently put it. All right, let's deal with some of these other objections right after the break. You're listening to Cross-Examine with Frank Turek on the American Family Radio Network. We're back in just two minutes. Friends, I got to tell you about the Art Effect Foundation. That's Art Effect, all one word, just like Artifact, foundation.org. Go to that website and check it out. It's a new venture put forth by some 
people who want to combine the arts and apologetics around the world. And the inaugural event, which I will be part of, is just in a couple of weeks, December 7th through the 9th in Charleston, South Carolina. Uh, you need to check it out. We're going to have some displays of Dead Sea Scrolls and manuscripts. And we're also going to have some apologetic talks from myself, Gary Habermas, the great Gary Habermas, the world-renowned expert on the resurrection. And of course, you, Ross. We're all going to be down there in Charleston. We don't have all the details buttoned up yet. But this Artifact Foundation is going to utilize probably 30 or 40 different apologists to take this show on the road around the world. And so you're going to want to learn more about that by going to artifactfoundation.org. And uh, you can learn what's going to happen and what the initial event is this December 7th through the 9th in Charleston, South Carolina, by just going to that website. And you'll be hearing more about that in the ensuing uh, months and years, I hope. This is a long-term project to combine the arts and apologetics. And by the way, that's important to do. Someone put it this way, that beauty is the battleground upon which God and Satan fight for the hearts of mankind. Beauty is the battleground upon which God and Satan fight for the hearts of mankind. If you think about why people do what they do and why they make choices, as I mentioned earlier, they make choices, we make choices, not purely based on reason. A lot of times there's emotion and volition in there. It's not just about the head. A lot of time it's about the heart and the will. And beauty is something that can capture us, not just rationally, but emotionally and volitionally. And God can use beauty because beauty ultimately points to him. But unfortunately, Satan can use beauty to deceive us. And so we want to combine the arts with apologetics so we can steer people toward the truth, steer people toward God. And that's one of the reasons I want to be a part of this artifactfoundation.org. And just go to the website to learn more. All right, let's go back to our talk or our, our subject here today, Thanksgiving weekend. We're talking about uh, some of the assertions that atheists and secularists make and why there are contradictions when they make these assertions. Here's another one. You should not impose your values on others. Now, what's the assumption behind that? Well, the assumption is there are no objective moral truths because your values are just subjective. Of course, that's self-defeating. Why? Because it's a moral truth to claim that you ought not impose moral truths, according to these people. They're claiming it's objectively true that you ought not impose your subjective morals. Well, why is their moral that you ought not impose morals objective if mine are merely subjective? You see the point here? And by the way, when people say you ought not impose your morals on others, what you can say is, why not? Would that be immoral? And why are you imposing your moral on me? What's your moral? Your moral is that I don't get to impose my morals because that's immoral, but you get to impose yours, apparently. Do you see the problem here? This is a contradiction. It's contradictory as well, because the very same people who say you ought not impose your morals on them or try to impose their morals on you. 
Now, there's even a, a, a better answer here than that. It's not only self-defeating, but when people tell me, don't impose your morals on me, I say, well, these aren't my morals. I didn't make this stuff up. I didn't make up the fact that murder is wrong, that abortion is wrong, that rape is wrong, that theft is wrong, that men were made for women and women were made for men. And the best way to perpetuate and stabilize society is to value that relationship, that sexual relationship over any others in society. I mean, that's the purpose that the, 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 the states involved in marriage to begin with. It's not to recognize romantic affinity between two people. It's to ensure that the society is perpetuated and stabilized through the biological two-parent family. That's the reason the government's involved in marriage at all. They shouldn't care whether you have romantic feelings for one another. What they care about is that you come together, stay together, have children, and bring up those children in such a way that they are good citizens. Because that benefits everybody. So these aren't my morals. I didn't make any of this up. This isn't my morality. This is the morality. This is the morality Thomas Jefferson said was self-evident. This is the morality that the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 2 said is written on the hearts of all men. All people know this. You don't need the Bible to know right and wrong. Oh, the Bible will give you more detail. But you already know basic right and wrong. It's written on your hearts. If you needed the Bible to know right from wrong, then God was unjust for judging the entire generation of Noah. They didn't have a Bible. He was also unjust for judging the Canaanites. They didn't have a Bible. No, they knew right from wrong because it was written on their hearts. God had put it on their hearts. So, so the point here is, is that these aren't my morals. And I don't think I don't want to impose my morals. I don't want to impose your morals. I want to impose the morals, the morality. And by the way, this is goes to a, an, another objection you get about the separation of church and state. This has nothing to do with the separation of church and state. I mean, the separation of church and state is not in our Constitution, just, despite what people say. But even if it was, it's irrelevant. We're not trying to legislate religion. We're not trying to tell people where, when, how, or if to worship or to be a part of a certain church or to get engaged in certain religious activities. We're not talking about that. We're not trying to legislate religion, but we are trying to legislate morality, and everyone legislates morality. Every law declares one behavior right and the opposite behavior wrong. All laws say one behavior is right and the opposite behavior is wrong. Even the, the abortion laws are saying that. They're saying that one Viewpoint is correct. The viewpoint that the unborn child is not a human being. And so you can do whatever you want. You have a moral right to do whatever you want with that unborn child. That's a moral position. I have a moral right to choose an abortion. That's a moral position. Everybody's trying to impose morality. Now, the pro-life side is trying to impose continued pregnancy on the mother. The pro-abortion side is trying to impose death on the baby whenever abortion is chosen. And it's also trying to impose no rights on the father or anybody else. The father has no rights in this. In fact, my, my wife, who is like the world's greatest parent, used to tell our kids when they were growing up, we had three sons, we have three sons, and she would say this, she would say, sons, any woman or girl you have sex with, you have given that person the right to murder your child. Think about that. That's true. The man has no rights. So obviously we, we talk to them, don't have premarital sex. That goes without saying. I'm simply saying that even if you get married, 
and you have sex with someone. You have given that person, if you're a man, you've given that person the right to kill your child. Because you, as a man, have no rights, according to current laws. That's a moral position. It's imposed. So all laws are trying to impose morality. And by the way, when they say, when folks like this say that religious people should stay out of lawmaking politics or imposing their view on the public, what's the assumption behind that? Well, the assumption behind that is that atheism or secularism is the default and neutral position. But there are no neutral values here. It's not neutral to believe that an unborn child is not a human being and has no rights. It's to believe that an unborn child is no different than a mosquito whom you find inconvenient. It's not neutral to give tax dollars to pay for abortion, either directly or through Planned Parenthood. It's not neutral to believe that through the force of law, that a relationship between a man and a woman is no different than a relationship between a man and a man. It's not neutral to believe that the government can force you to participate in a same-sex marriage, that your freedom of religion, freedom of conscience, and freedom of speech should be usurped by someone else's desire that you celebrate what they do. That's not neutral. It's not neutral to believe that a, a person can break his vow to you without consequences as no-fault divorce law stipulate. Isn't it amazing that the most important contract in society, and it's more than a contract, but we actually treat it like less than a contract, the contract of marriage. Isn't it, isn't it tragic that the most important contract to the health and well-being of our society and the health and well-being of children is the only contract I know about that if the party, if one party wants to get out, that party has no negative consequences. They just have to split the, 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 the property. Look, if I'm in a business contract and I want to bow out of it, I'm going to be penalized, but not in marriage. You're not penalized. If you want out, the other side can't do anything to you. They can't hold you to it. Isn't that amazing? That's how bad the no-fault divorce laws are. It's not neutral to believe that your right to be secure in a public bathroom or shower is of less importance than someone's desire to use that shower, even if they are of the opposite biological sex. That's not neutral. That's saying that that person has a higher right to use that bathroom than you have to your physical security. Or your emotional security. That's not neutral. It's not neutral for the government to use tax dollars to pay for so-called gender reassignment surgery. If you're against that, sorry, you got to pay. It's not neutral for the government to require that health plans include abortion-inducing drugs, sex reassignment surgery, and maternity coverage. In fact, our health care costs, our health insurance is going to go from $1,200 a month to $2,500 a month for my wife and me. It's going to double due to Obamacare. But thank God that we, have, that we have maternity coverage due to Obamacare. We're 56 years old. Is that the silliest thing you've ever heard? But that's what Obamacare has given us. That's not neutral, by the way. It's not neutral to throw out every reference to God out of schools and assume that you... That you or, and to assume that the answer to life's most significant question, which is, does God exist? To assume that the answer is no. When you throw God out, you're assuming that an education devoid of belief in God is better. But by what standard is it better? You've thrown the standard out. This is like atheists who, who claim they merely lack a belief in God. No, they don't. They don't merely lack a belief in God. 
They not only believe that there is no God, but they have positive beliefs about how the universe can be explained without God. They talk about evolution, quantum vacuums, multiple universes. That's education without God. The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. We've thrown out, we've assumed, as C.S. Lewis said, that the answer to the most significant question in the universe, does God exist, is no. We just assume it. We don't debate it. We don't bring it up in class and debate it. No, we just assume it's no. That's not neutral. No, neutrality is a myth on these issues, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Frank Turek. You're listening to Cross-Examine with Frank Turek on the American Family Radio Network. Don't go away. We'll be right back. If you find value in the content of this podcast, don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, where you can find more. Just type Cross-Examine or Frank Turek on the search bar. Also, visit our website where we add new videos, articles, and free resources daily. How many times have you heard somebody say, I just want you to be happy, or as long as they're happy? Christians have said that. As if the goal of life is to be happy. That's the assumption behind it. The purpose of life is to be happy. Is it really? You're listening to Cross-Examine with Frank Turek on the American Family Radio Network. By the way, the book I had mentioned earlier, Stealing from God, you can get it at our website, crossexamined.org. Crossexamined with a D on the end of it, .org. Click on store. You'll not only see that, but you'll see uh, new online courses we're teaching. You'll see uh, hundreds of other products, books, DVDs, DVDs from our TV show. You can see it all there. Uh, there's some DVDs on what's the purpose of life. The purpose of life is to know God and to make him known. The purpose of life is not necessarily to be happy. No, I'm not saying we don't want to be happy. Of course we do. But when people say the purpose of life is to be happy, you need to ask them a question. Remember Greg Kokel's questions from his book Tactics, which, by the way, are in our app, the Cross-Examined app. app. The first question is, what do you mean by that? The second question is, how did you come to that conclusion? Those are key questions you need to ask people. Uh, when Christmas rolls around, those are questions you're going to want to ask people. Oh, by the way, I forgot to mention to you guys. Um, we're sending out one video a week, a short video from a college campus. Normally, it's a college campus video. It's a Q&A video. A, a, an atheist, an agnostic, a skeptic, a Muslim, sometimes even a Christian will ask a question and I'll give a short answer to it. People seem to like these videos because they get right to the point very quickly. They have to. You don't have a lot of time to answer a question. So these videos, we're going to start sharing with people via email. And the one we just sent out uh, just this past Tuesday had to do with dealing with uh, obnoxious relatives <laughs> over Thanksgiving, or now we could say even over Christmas. And it highlights some of these questions you ought to ask people. If you want to get that video once a week, every Tuesday, we're going to send it to you. It's a short video, anywhere between uh, a different one each week, anywhere between, say, three and five minutes, eight minutes, something like that. Uh, a short Q&A video. Just go to crossexamine.org, click on subscribe, and uh, put your email address in there. We don't share your email address with anybody else, but we'll just send you that one video a week. And uh, as I say, the one we just sent out was the one on these questions. What do you mean by that? How'd you come to that conclusion? Have you ever considered? So when somebody says the purpose of life is to be happy, what you, what you ought to ask is, what do you mean by that? What do you... How do you define happiness? What is happiness? And how did you come to that conclusion? Because here's where the assumption that happiness is our purpose contradicts with real life. You ask this question. 
What if your definition of happiness intrudes on the rights of other people? What if it hurts others or makes others unhappy? I mean, you're living in a world here with billions of other people. If you just pursue your own happiness, first of all, you'll never get it by pursuing it directly. It's more of a byproduct of service. That's how you get happiness. You serve others. But when you try and go at it directly, you'll never get it. So when you ask others, how do you define it? And what if it makes other people unhappy? Then you just sit back and you, you wait, you ask. Or you, you, you wait for the answer. If they say, well, of course, I, I, I shouldn't hurt other people. Well, what is your definition of hurt? Is hurt just physical? Is it emotional? Is it, is it uh, psychological? I mean, is it wrong to psychologically hurt people? I mean, how do you even know you hurt somebody sometimes? How do you know that what you do today might not hurt somebody five years from now? I mean, you don't. You, you, you can't look in a crystal ball all the time. So there's a lot more to this. And if they say, well, it's whatever my definition of happiness is, then you can ask, is that definition just true for you or is it true for everybody? I mean, if it's just true for you, then you can't say that anyone is objectively wrong if they do something that makes you unhappy, if they get in your way. See, because if I have my definition of happiness and you have your definition of happiness and my definition of happiness includes making you unhappy, then what? Is that objectively wrong? I mean, if it's true for everyone, then by what standard is it true for everyone? See, if it's not true for everyone, then you can't impose that on other people. If it is true for everyone, then by what standard is it true for everyone? Who is above all human beings with the goodness and power to make the rules of life and hold people accountable to them? Who? is above all human beings with the goodness and power to make the rules of life and hold people accountable to them. That can only be God. Again, there can't be a right way to live life unless there's, unless there's a real purpose of life, a true objective purpose of life. Just like there can't be a right way to play a football game unless there's a purpose or goal of the game. As I mentioned earlier, you can't say a touchdown for your side is better than you throwing an interception unless you know what the goal of the game is. And you can't know what the right way to live life is unless there's an objective purpose to life. Yet atheists who on one hand claim there's no objective purpose, on the other hand claim that you can't interfere with their purpose. This is contradictory, ladies and gentlemen. There is truth and there is rightness out there and truth and rightness is grounded in God's nature. By the way, we're going to talk about that with Ed Fazer. You guys know who Ed Fazer is? I've talked about him before. He's been on our program many moons ago. He's got a brand new book called Five Proofs for the Existence of God. Now, these proofs are not the cosmological argument, like arguing from beginning of the universe or the design argument or any of these kinds of uh, arguments that we typically talk about. These are proofs, philosophical proofs. And this book is written for the average intelligent person. It's not written for a person who probably has never heard of these concepts before. But the book is quite good, and we're going to have Ed on uh, right before Christmas. Uh, his book, again, is called Five Proofs for the Existence of God. And the, the proofs come from 
It's not Aquinas' five ways. You may be thinking of that. No, one of the arguments is from Aquinas, but there are arguments from Aristotle, Plotinus, Augustine, Aquinas, and Leibniz that Ed goes through, and uh, we'll talk to him about that coming up here later on in December. I think it's going to air, actually, uh, let's see, when is Christmas this year? It is a Saturday, isn't it? Oh, no, no, no. I'm sorry. It's a Monday. Saturday, the 23rd, the show will air. So keep a sharp eye out for that, Ed Fazer. Uh, there's got to be a goal to life, back to our discussion here, if you're going to say something is right or something is wrong. Um, let me deal with one other one here, if I get time. We may have to come back to this in a later program. Uh, how about the, the idea here that we just need to teach kids about safe sex or contraception? That's uh, a assumption or a, an assertion, I should say, put forth by many on the left. Many of them are atheists and secularists. And here's the assumption. The assumption is that sex is just physical. That's the assumption. If you could just prevent the physical consequences of sex, i.e. pregnancy, then, then you can just do whatever you want. And this is, of course, fueled the sexual revolution. Now, if sex were just physical, as my friend Andy Stanley likes to say, if sex were just physical, then why is it wrong or why is it worse if somebody rapes you than if somebody just physically assaults you? It's obviously wrong if somebody rapes you than if somebody just physically assaults you. Why? Because sex is not just physical. It's also emotional. It's psychological. It's, it's moral. It's spiritual. There's a lot more going on. And more people are broken by bad sexual relationships than virtually anything else. And what we see in the news today is just horrific. All these sexual harassers are being exposed, and they should be exposed, quite obviously. The good thing about this is now women who have been subject to this kind of immorality for so long are feeling emboldened that they need to stand up and say something about it, and they won't be, uh, they won't be, there won't be reprisals because now it's all out in the open. In fact, the one lady that was uh, harassed by, by Al Franken, who we have pictures, I mean, it's not just he said, she said, there are pictures. This one lady, a Tweeden, I think her name was, said, look, I couldn't say this uh, in 2006 when this happened. People told me this guy's a senator. He is powerful. He could, he could, he could destroy your career in Hollywood. You wouldn't be able to, to work anymore. She said, now that all this has come out from Weinstein on down, now I feel that I can come out and not fear reprisals. So these people were not just physically assaulted, they were sexually assaulted. And that is worse because there's much more to sex than the assumption that the secularists and atheists put forward that sex is just physical. Christian blogger Matt Walsh, you may have heard of him. He's now joined uh, Ben Shapiro over there at, I think it's called the Daily Wire. He used to be with The Blaze. He makes a great point in comparing biblical love with self-centered erotica found in our culture. Here's what he has written. He said, he's quoting from 1 Corinthians 13. He says, love is patient. Love is kind. It is not self-seeking. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. That's, of course, 1 Corinthians 13. Now, here's what 
Matt Walsh writes, he says, the problem with the sex portrayed in this movie or in any trashy romance novel you find at the airport or in many other films and TV shows or in many actual relationships is that it's always self-seeking, never honest, never truthful, never trusting and never protecting. There is no hope in it, no kindness, no sacrifice. It's selfish and removed, which makes it stale, which is why people tire of it so quickly and become so bored with, with it all, which is why they consume so much porn and bounce between so many different one night stands, unquote, from Matt Walsh. Indeed. I mean, do you really think, folks, that people who want to have sex with you but do not want to marry you really love you? Are they are they so concerned about you that they will protect you to the point of sacrificing and denying themselves? They want sex, but no marriage commitment, yet they say they love you. No, they don't. They're lying. The person that really loves you is willing to wait until you're both ready to spend the rest of your lives together. It's amazing that the kind of sex that is put forth in our culture is exactly opposite or the kind of love is exactly opposite to what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13. That's why we need to renew our minds, ladies and gentlemen, as Paul also says in Romans chapter 12. And I hope this show has helped you renew your mind. It helps me renew my mind just researching for it. All right, I'm Frank Turek, friends. Great being with you again. Go to crossexamine.org for more. Crossexamine.org. That's crossexamine with a D on the end of it.org. And I'll see you next time right here. God bless.